Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many There'll be a number of us this week, maybe all of us this week, that are probably planning a great supper for later this week. And we'll circle around a table of our choosing and we'll give thanks for the bread and we'll give thanks for the for whatever meat you choose to eat and we'll give thanks for the other food and we will try to squeeze God in there somewhere and give thanks to him too. And yet we're here gathered around what we call the Lord's table to give thanks for this, to give thanks, to give thanks for this measure of bread. This fruit of the Spirit. So if you want a kiwi, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit, because the fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. An apple's not a fruit of the Spirit. An apple's not a fruit of the Spirit. So if you want an apple, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit, because the fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right. Thank you, kiddos.
So you got to hear it from our kids here in Oklahoma City. And then you got to hear it from the children in Arapal in the Philippines, one of our longest missionary partners, as they sing that the fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. <laughs> it's love, joy, peace. And you saw the motions? I really like the motions. You kind of had love, joy, peace. And I kind of got lost in the end. And for reasons I don't understand, this is self-control. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out next week, maybe. I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Again, we begin by praying, Father, we ask that you send your Spirit into our lives, into our homes, and into this church to produce fruit in us so that your will may be done. And then we all read together from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What was that last one? And self-control. It's going to be hard to preach next week without just doing that all, all day long. We're continuing our series looking at what happens when the character and virtue of God comes to dwell in us through the power of His Spirit. When the indwelling power of the Spirit comes into us, God's character becomes contagiously transformational in our lives so that we begin to take on the character and virtue of God in our lives so that through us, people might see who God is because we begin to become more like God. And so the fruit of the Spirit is rooted uh, completely in the actual character of God. That God has all of these characteristics dwelling completely in Him. Love, joy, patience, peace, all of them. Uh, gentleness and self-control are all in God's very character. And through His Spirit living in us, we begin to take on these character traits ourselves. And today as we talk about gentleness, the first thing that we need to say about gentleness in the Bible is that it is not the opposite of strength. It's not the opposite of strength. So often when we think of gentleness, we think of weakness. We think of softness. We think of, uh, of those kinds of things. But the problem is that weakness is not the opposite of strength. It is the opposite of being harsh. Of, of rejection. Uh, when God has opportunities to show harshness and to reject people for things they're doing and with good reason, all too often, and, and so very often, God responds instead with gentleness. He responds with kindness. <coughs> he responds by coming down and meeting them where they are and loving them up to where he is. God is not harsh. He is so often gentle. So gentleness is not the opposite of, of strength. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness really is when the attentive care and help of the strong is offered to lift up those who need it so badly. When the attentive care of the strong is offered to the one in need to lift them up. And we've all experienced this gentleness of God in our moments of of difficulty and trial and weakness where we've cried out and said, God, I need you. And God has shown up not with harshness and not with rules and not with brutality, but God has shown up in those moments with gentleness 
when we need to be lifted up, the one who is attentive and caring and, and full of strength becomes immediately present and almost small to us in our moment of need, lifting us up. There's two Old Testament passages that talk about God's gentleness. And the two passages are almost the same. One of them is, is Psalm 18. The other is 2 Samuel 22. They're both a recording of a song, uh, a psalm that David has written. It's a psalm that David has written after he has been delivered from all of his enemies and he's been delivered from Saul and he's been through a great season of being chased and pursued and, tried, uh, and had people trying to kill him. And he's delivered from all of that. And it's in that moment that David writes this psalm, and it's recorded in 2 Samuel 22, and it's also in Psalm 18 with minor variations. We're going to be looking at the one from Psalm 18. I want you to hear this psalm that David writes when he thinks about the God who has repeatedly delivered him. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. And my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Skip down to verse 6. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. With hailstones and bolts of lightning, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath. From your nostrils. God is strong. God is strong. As you're reading through this psalm, overwhelmingly, you're just, you're just hearing over and over again how strong God is, how powerful He is, how mighty He is. It's just the, the images of weaponry, of warfare, of weather, and of storms, of, of just incredible power. And, and it's not even the arm of God. It's so often just the breath of God. All it takes is his breath to wipe out all kinds of things and to shake the very earth itself. This is God's power. And yet a few verses later, the same psalm, but when you get to verses 35 and 36 says this. You've also given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand upholds me. And your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. 
midst of this psalm of God's overwhelming strength and power and authority is this, this little line where David writes, and God, your gentleness, your gentleness has lifted me up. Your gentleness makes me great. My steps are bigger underneath me because of your gentleness. Isn't that an incredible thing to hear David uh, thinking about all of the strength that God has placed behind David and his mighty men and his armies and the stone that killed Goliath. And over and over again, David's incredible feats of strength and might. But David doesn't forget that it's the gentleness of God that often lifted him up. It's the gentleness of God that would come to him in his, his difficult moments and make his steps great and his feet sturdy beneath him. That God, who is as mighty as David has declared, is still capable of coming down and getting low to lift David up. The word there that's, that's translated as gentleness in, in the New American Standard and many other translations, and then NIV it's translated help. Your help has lifted me up. Your help makes me great. It comes from the Hebrew word uh, anva. Anva is the Hebrew word. And the word is translated in several different ways. It can mean gentleness, meekness, helper, humility. All of these words having this idea of one who is tall and mighty coming down and being made low and lowly for the sake of lifting up one who needs it for lifting up the one who is in need. And when you think about what that means for God, the almighty creator God, the God who speaks the creation into existence, the God who has the power and might that David has just described, that when you're beat up, God shows up not with harshness, not with overwhelming strength, but God shows up with gentleness, with humility, with help helps and he does so in a way that is loving and in a way that is kind God has every right to be distant to be royal and regal sitting on his almighty throne looking down on us with judgment God has every right to be daunting to be harsh to even at times be angry with us and yet it's so often in those moments and we see it in scripture and we know it in our own lives that when we realize that this is the moment that God should show up and be furious with us, that, that God shows up with gentleness. God shows up with care. And God shows up with mercy. And he lifts up the one in need. Not in any way becoming less than who he always is, but in, in his own way taking on humility for the sake of exalting the one who is in need. What a good, good God. And so it shouldn't come as any surprise that when Jesus tells us about the Father, when Jesus in the gospel starts to demonstrate the love of God in the lives of the people that he comes in contact with, that we see this same gentleness that is evident in God's character, is evident in Jesus' teaching and in his care for others and in his ministry. And so we see stories where Jesus teaches us about God and he says, don't you know that God is like a father whose son has betrayed him and abandoned him and wasted all of his money and been living with pigs. And when this son comes back, the father jumps off the porch and runs to this son and just embraces him. Not with, not with 
anger, not with rage, not with, with, with all the things that you would expect. With judgment, the father runs out and he loves his son with a passionate gentleness. That kind of gentleness isn't weak. In fact, it's rooted in strength to be able to do that. Jesus does things like going and eating at Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, who everyone in the crowd wanted Jesus to look at and say, you traitor who collects the roams of God's people for the sake of Caesar and the evil empire. Zacchaeus, that's your job, and you have profited on other people because of your job. Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to go eat at your house today. He responds with gentleness. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law try and trap Jesus, and so they find this woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus, and they throw her down in the street, and they gather around in this angry mob holding all of these stones and rocks and anger and rage and harshness. They ask Jesus, teacher, what should we do? Law says we should stone her for her sins. What do you say? Are you for this woman and mercy, or are you for the law? Choose one. You can't have it both ways. And what Jesus does in that moment is he finds this middle way, and the middle way holds both truth and gentleness together, truth and mercy together. And telling this woman as she leaves that you need to go from here and quit sinning, but at the same time telling everyone else, you who have no sin cast the first stone. And you've heard me say this before. My favorite part of this story is that it actually notes that the older ones start dropping their stones first. The ones who've gained humility through experience and who know uh, the danger of the mistakes that they've made and all of a sudden seeing in the mirror what Jesus holds in front of them that they need to get out of there. Because God's mercy calls gentleness to be the thing that we manifest when we're confronted with the woman caught in adultery with an angry mob that wants to destroy her. And Jesus says, I will have no part of that. Jesus, who had no sin, also did not throw the first stone. It's a reminder that God is worthy and capable and good enough to be the judge over us, and he continually and constantly releases that and responds with gentleness and mercy instead. And he shows up, and with with attention and care, he powerfully and in his strength becomes less to lift up the one who is in need. That's the gentleness of God. And we see it in Jesus' life and ministry over and over again, that while God has every right to be harsh with us, he chooses to be gentle. And it shouldn't surprise us that this is true of Jesus either. In Isaiah chapter 40, there's one of the double prophecies of Isaiah that that really has two meanings. In Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, and, and you'll recognize this because it's quoted often in the Gospels. Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11 says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Through 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. 
he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young, gently leads the nursing ewes. This prophecy is is written with a double meaning, as a short-term prophecy and a long-term prophecy. And the short-term one is this, that that Israel's been hauled off as as captives to Babylon where they don't want to be, and they're living as slaves and servants and and prisoners of war. Uh, The prophet Isaiah says to them, a voice is calling in the wilderness, a time is coming when God, your shepherd, is going to guide you back home, and he's going to do it with gentleness, and he's going to do it with attentive care. And he's going to do it in a way that's not harsh. He's going to lead you back. And it ends with this this phrase that he's going to give special attention to those nursing sheep. That the most vulnerable among you will be given special care as God leads you back to the land that has been promised to you. But the second prophecy is this. The double nature of the prophecy in Isaiah is that not only will God do this for Israel in Babylon, but God is going to do it for Israel in the Messiah. That the Messiah is coming, and when the Messiah comes, he is going to lead Israel back to the promised land. He's going to lead them to the kingdom that has been promised. And so this passage also talks about John the Baptist. And the gospel writers go and they they look at this passage, and they talk about John, and they say, John is the voice in the wilderness calling, prepare a way for the Lord. Because the kingdom is coming, and when it comes, here's what's going to happen. God is going to, through his Messiah, lead the people back to the kingdom that they're supposed to be in with gentleness. He's going to do it with care. And he's going to give extra attention to the most vulnerable among the flock. He's going to hold them and pick them up and carry them in his arms and take care for them. Not because he's weak, because gentleness is not the opposite of strength. He does so because he has enough strength to give extra care and attention to the littlest ones. That this is the way of Jesus, that this is the way of God, is to not show up and say, uh, well, you little lambs better get moving. We've got a long journey ahead. Buck up. It's not the God of buck upness. He's the God of gentleness. He's the Messiah that comes in gentleness. He promises that he'll take care of those of us who are struggling and who are suffering and who are having difficulty, Jesus is going to pick you up. He's going to carry you until you're strong enough to walk on your your own. The Lord comes with an unbelievable might and a mighty arm, but the shepherd that he is is a tender leader, a tender one who leads the most vulnerable with care. You know, there's a lot of images of God, I think, that cause us problems. And the images that we've been talking about today should push back against these, but they often don't. Uh, About once a month, someone that we know or someone from the community will come up here to the church during the week. It's someone that that you probably haven't seen in a while, but there's someone, a sheep that's wandered away. And a lot of times they show up and the things they're struggling with are visible on their faces and their clothes, or maybe it's been visible on Facebook, and they know that we know the things that they're struggling with. And they'll come up here, and they'll have a need that's brought them here. And they'll knock on the door, they'll ring the bell, and we open the door, and we say, hey, come on in, it's good to see you. And they'll say, no, 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 I'm not going to come in. What? I've got too much stuff going on in my life right now to come into a church. 
what? I'm not going to come in. And occasionally, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, they'll say, I'm pretty sure if I cross the threshold of this door, I'll just, get, I'll just be turned to fire. And I, you know, God hasn't done that here at Northwest in a while, but they're pretty convinced he will. And they won't come in. And we go out in the parking lot, we talk to them, and we talk about their need, and we were able to, we help them, and we try and meet that need. But there's so many people that believe that God is not gentle that God is a harsh and judging and cruel God. And we get these other images of God. We think of him uh, like the principle. Uh, some of you guys, when you were little, I don't know what this was like, but I've been told you might get sent to the principal's office from time to time. Uh, Henry, you were a principal for a while. Okay, so just picture a mean Henry when you're... Remember when you go to the principal's office? There's no such thing as a mean Henry. It doesn't make sense. No wonder they fired you. Because when you go to the principal's office, I don't think they fired him, but when you go to the principal's office, it's supposed to be a horrible experience. You get there, and the principal looks at you and says, oh, you again. What would you do this time? That's one of the images we get of God, right? The God that when we go to, the, go to God and say, God, I've been struggling this week. And he goes, ugh, you again. Principle. Or sometimes it's the police officer. Right? The police officer God. God shows up and he knocks on your window. You know what God says? License and registration. He says, he says, do you know why I pulled you over? And you think to yourself, well, I know why I think you pulled me over, but just in case it's different, why don't you tell me yours first and we'll match notes? Because if it's a tail light, I don't want to tell you why I think you pulled me over. We think God is just waiting to trap us. That he's been watching, and he's upset, and he's caught us, and he's just ready to give us a ticket for all the awful things we've done in our lives. And, and there's just shame and embarrassment we want out of these moments. We think of God as a judge, and in some ways he is a judge. We know that he is the good judge, and there's a number of parables that put him in the seat of the judge. And his son Jesus will eventually judge the world. But we think of him as this angry judge. who's ready to just sit there and tell us all the rules and all the regulations and all the things we've done wrong and, and wants nothing but the facts. Just give me the facts and the evidence, and then I will weigh you, and you will be found to be wanting because I know that you're guilty. And we think about God in all of these judgmental ways and with these kind of harsh images. And we fail to communicate to ourselves and to the world that our God is a gentle God. Oh, yeah. And that when we have yeah. need, that God shows up not as the principal or the police officer. And I actually think principals and police officers are good people and judges are great too. But we have these negative experiences. You can't help but when you see the police lights going off behind you to go, uh-oh. And that's how so many of our prayers start. Dear Heavenly Father, just wanted to talk to you about today. And Uh-oh. Wait, were you watching when that happened? Uh, thank you for the food, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, you got to get out of here before I get caught. God's not like that, guys. God is not harsh and cruel and judgmental. God is a good and gentle God. And the gentleness of God, like all the other fruits of the Spirit, is not exclusive to God. 
It is manifested in the life of Jesus, and it's taken in the Holy Spirit, and then it's then contagiously uh, transforming us to become gentle like God. So then in Philippians 4, 5, and 6, it says this, Let your gentleness, and this is talking to us, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This verse is in here for two reasons. One is if you wanted a Thanksgiving sermon, there it is, uh, Thanksgiving cameo. But the second one is this, that we're supposed to take on the characteristics of God in our lives so that when we go into the world and interact with people that our gentleness should be evident as God's gentleness is evident. That we, in all situations, should not be anxious. And I'll tell you, church, right now, when I see Christians on the internet, they are anxious. They're anxious. Here we're told, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in all things, with gentleness, with prayer and thanksgiving, go to God. Be God to these people. Present your request to God and God will show up and match your gentleness with his. Ephesians 4 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Peter writes in 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We've got an evangelism problem in the church today and in the world today where we've got a whole lot of Christians who won't give an answer for anything. They just keep their mouths shut all the time. And we've got a lot of people who keep opening their mouths and they do it without gentleness and respect. We need more Christians who stand up and are ready to give a reason for the faith that they have with gentleness and respect. Not because it's politically correct, but because gentleness and respect are rooted in the character of God which is grown in us by the Spirit which produces this fruit in us. As followers of Jesus made in God's image with the transforming power of the Spirit that is with, at work within us, when we interact with and share our faith with and build relationships with people outside the church, we've got to do it with the gentleness of God. Because the world is beat up whether it knows it or not. And the world needs people to show up with attentive care and be willing to become humble and gentle in order to lift them up so that they might come to trust us and trust God. And I'll, I'll tell you, you guys have seen a dog that's, if you've ever seen a dog that's been hit before, and you go to pet the dog, and the dog recoils. And it just makes you feel sick in your stomach to know that someone has done such harm to this animal that the animal, when approached with love and respect and gentleness and care, is terrified. Church, I'll tell you, as a preacher in the churches of Christ, I've had opportunities where I tell people, uh, they say, what, are you, what do you do for a living? And I tell them, I'm a preacher. And they, they go, really? They're curious. What church? I say, the church of Christ. Not always, but often enough, they recoil like they've been hit. And they look at me in surprise. 
Now, I've not done anything to try and harm them. In fact, if anything, I want to connect with them and share the gospel with them with respect and gentleness. But in the moment that I tell them who I am and where I work, they step back and do this. And I feel sick when I see this happen. I feel sick when I know that my brothers and sisters, often with the best intentions, have failed to demonstrate the gentleness of God and have showed up in these people's lives with harshness and, and anger. And they're wounded. They're wounded because of the interactions they've had with our brothers and sisters before. And I, I got in the habit at some point of trying to diffuse the tension of that moment because I don't like tension. I, I've diffused it kind of with, for me, originally started out as a joke. I say, whatever it is that you just emotionally responded to, I like to think that my church is a kinder and gentler version of it. And that gives them permission to go, oh, good. Okay. And it starts to restore a little bit of trust. And as I was thinking about that this week and thinking about how what I intended to just diffuse the situation by using a common phrase, a kinder and gentler church, actually struck me as being deeply rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. This is a kinder and gentler church. And that's not just a platitude and it's not just a joke. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that has been grown up in this church in such a way that we love and welcome all people. We give attentive care to the one who is in need so that we might humbly bend down and lift them up. And we show up with the kindness and the gentleness of God, not because we're scared of telling the truth. We're going to tell the truth, but we're going to do it with gentleness and love. And we're going to show welcome and we're going to show kindness and we're going to start to rebuild trust in the people that Christians have destroyed it in. And we're going to do it by the power of the Spirit, which comes into us as individuals and as families and as a church and as a kingdom and begins to grow up the fruit of kindness and gentleness so that we might be ready to share the reason for our faith and to live in the world in a way that builds bridges instead of knocking them down. This is the power of God. And it is not weakness. It is the power and strength of God that he can do this with gentleness without giving up one ounce of his strength. And that's what we're called to do too. In the strength of God, demonstrate the gentleness of God so that the world might learn to trust him and take a step back towards Jesus. I'm telling you today, if you're here, whether you're a visitor or a member or whether it's your first time in the door or your 1,000th, if you're here and you're in need today of the gentleness of God, this is a kinder and gentler church that's ready to wrap its arms around you and love you forward. Amen. To love you one step closer to God so that the good shepherd can wrap you up in his arms and take you where you need to go. And he's going to do it with gentleness and he's going to do it with care and he's going to take you all the way to the heavenly banquet table. And if you need to respond to that gospel today, that good news, please come forward while we stand and sing.